as tonight we're going to cover a couple of chapters that are probably two of the most important chapters in the Bible. And if I could just give one word, because sometimes it's hard to say, like, what was the study about? You know, and a lot of times we don't know. And we're like, well, I remember the pastor talked about Second Kings, you know, or whatever, the war. But here's the, here's the study in one word, a warning, warnings. And we're going to see that today, that we have to take warnings seriously, especially when those warnings come from God. You know, what we're going to see tonight in our study today is uh, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, they're going to be taken away to Babylon uh, after hundreds of years of warning, after the prophets were just telling them, hey, get right with the Lord, and they wouldn't listen. And so hopefully uh, you're going to get a good understanding of the three, I guess you could say, incidents when Babylon invaded Judah. You remember in the book of John, as a matter of fact, it might be good just to start there. In John chapter 5, look at verse 14. Remember, Jesus healed a man. And it says afterwards, in John five fourteen, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And that's New Testament theology. And that's Jesus. Jesus had made a man well. Jesus had healed him. Jesus had saved him, just like he did with us. And a lot of times I think what ends up happening is we, you know, we go back. Uh, like Henry was mentioning earlier, we can leave our first love. And what I want to encourage you guys in today is just to have a heart for holiness. Have a heart for prayer. Have a heart to get into the word. Have a heart for obedience. Let your spouse say, my husband is a godly man and be able to mean it. Let your, you know, husband be able to say that about you wives, about our kids, about our parents, the ones that really know us. You know, I heard a statistic uh, yesterday. It said that 85% of all Christians do their praying while they're traveling. And so that means 85%, that's close to 9 out of 10. What they do, their quiet time in prayer is that they they, 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 they pray while they're, while they're driving. And, and I'm not, you know, knocking that necessarily. I know that for some of you here, maybe you do your power walk and you're praying and it's cool. But you got to admit, you are not 100% focused on God if you're doing anything else. And so what I want to encourage you guys to do is to do what Jesus did. And that is that he went and he found a quiet place and he got on his face and he found a solitary place where he can be with the Lord and he prayed. And I want you to start praying like you mean it. Praying like you believe in it. Start turning off that television. Again, not wanting to get legalistic or anything. You know, the Lord will show you. The Lord will give you the divine details. But maybe if the Holy Spirit has been convicting you and saying, you know what, you don't need to watch that. If that's what the Lord's been saying to you, then listen to him. Because we need to be on our face and we need to be in the word and we need to be people of prayer. So that what happens is we find out what God wants to say to us. What that special personal message is to me. And then I can go out into the world and I can live the life. Again, it's not just about religious stuff, going to church and doing our religious disciplines. But those are the things where we learn the will of God and we are empowered now. We're filled with the Holy Spirit to then go out. And to live that life. And, and it's time, you guys. It, it, it really is, is time. You know, you guys probably heard the story of uh, U.S. Naval Captain Frank Coach. He relayed the following story of two battleships assigned to a training squadron that had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. And he said, I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so... The captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, Captain, there's a light ahead, bearing on the starboard below. It is, is it steady or, or is it moving? The captain asked. The lookout replied, it's steady, Captain, which meant we were in a dangerous collision course. So the captain then called to the signalman, Signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change 20 degrees. Well, back came the signal. Advise you change 20 degrees. 
So back came the signal, and the, uh, the captain said, send the message. I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. The response was, well, I'm only a seaman second class, but you had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was angry. He was furious, and he spat out the charge. Tell them I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. But back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. You changed 20 degrees. And I told my son this, and I know you guys have probably heard this story before, but my son, it was kind of cool. He said, well, Dad, why wouldn't they listen to the lighthouse? And, then, and I told my son, well, why wouldn't they listen to God? Same question. See, the lighthouse is the truth. The lighthouse is the Lord. And we're the ones that have got to change course. He's given us his word. He's given us his truth. And if we don't change course, if we don't start doing what we're supposed to be doing, then we will suffer the consequences. We will miss out on the blessings that God wanted to give to us. And that's what we're going to see in our text today here in 2 Kings chapter 24. Um, Warren Wiersbe said the nation had been rotting away at the center for years and was no match for the mighty Babylonian army. The king was captured and the city and the temple were destroyed and the people were taken into captivity. He said during the period of the judges, God had chastened them in the land. Now he would chase them, them outside their land. He figured if they wanted to live like the idolaters, then let them live with the idolaters. And that's what we're going to see. Heavy, heavy study today. Look what it says in verse 1 of Second Kings 24. It says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah, to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all they had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now pray for me, you guys, if you would, for tonight, because I, I think I studied like 37 hours for this study. I have so much information, and I really want to try to make it clear, and I want to try to make it simple. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, there was King Jehoiakim. Then there was King Jehoiachin. Okay, after him was King Zedekiah. So you guys follow me so far? Okay. You're like, no. <laughs> in 605 B.C., the Babylonians came, and this is what we read about here. And what ended up happening was they made Israel, they made Judah a vassal state. And that means it's pretty simple. They did take the king away, but it just was real simple. you got to pay us money. And so that's the first time God dealt with them. But this is what happened. They didn't listen. They rebelled against the discipline of God. And so now, 597 B.C., Jehoiakim is king, and he rebels. This time, what ends up happening is the Babylonians come, and they siege the city. This time, it's not too long. And what they do is they take uh, the king, they take his family, they take about 10,000 men away, um, people away, captivity to Babylon. They take the gold and, you know, you're hoping that they'll learn their lesson, but they don't. And so you fast forward to the year 586 B.C., and what happens is they rebelled again. They didn't listen. They would not change. They would not repent. They would not humble themselves under the prophecies of Jeremiah. We're going to see Jeremiah is prophesying through this whole time. And so what ends up happening is the Babylonians come and they surround the city of Jerusalem for a year and a half. It was so bad, there was no food left. The women, the moms were eating their kids. It was so bad. And what ended up happening was the Babylonians came in, and this time they burned the temple down. They knocked down the walls, and they took everything that was valuable. You see, 
the lesson is, is this crazy lesson. It is that if we don't repent, if we continue to live in sin, you know, I'm not, I don't know how it's going to work for you. Um, the thing that scares me the most is this. What happened to David? God wanted to bless his life even more than he did. But because of his sin, he couldn't. God couldn't. And that's the thing that I think of most, man, how much God wants to bless your life, how much God wants to use your life. You know, I was at an invocation right now for um, the Citizens Academy. They had 25 citizens of El Monte graduate tonight. And so I was there with the invocation, and I was able to talk to a couple of police officers prior to the service. And they were both telling me about pastors that fell into sexual sin. They are both telling me about that, you know. And I, I just, to me, I'm like, man, you hear this so much, so much. And, and then what I do when I hear things like that is I take it as a warning. You guys need to take it as a warning. Maybe you're here today and, you know, sexual sin, sexual sin will destroy you. And it's so common. Seventy percent of all men in the church, in the church, are looking at pornography. That means some of you here. And if you're looking at pornography, you're ruining, you're ruining your life. You're opening the doors to demons. See? And that's all I'm saying, you know. Maybe on a Thursday night, it's not so bad. Maybe you guys are a little bit more, you know, sanctified. I don't know. But if you're here tonight and you're struggling, maybe it is sexual sin. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it is drugs. Maybe it is alcohol. Maybe it is pride. Maybe it's because you're not praying the way that you should. And you're not seeking God the way that you should. You're not treating your wife or your husband or your kids the way that you should. Maybe you're not serving the way that you should. Whatever the sin is, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, what I'm saying is it's time to get right. It's so important because I just, we just want God to bless your life. And what ends up happening is God disciplines us. We don't listen. And then he disciplines us more harshly and we don't listen. And then before you know it, we're going to see in our study today, man, the plans that he had for our life, they're gone. They're gone. And he has to kick us out of the land. See? And that's what we see in our study. So I, I wanted to give you like a, a synopsis of it. And then, and then hopefully here we can break down some of the details here. In Second Kings 24, it says in verse 1, that in his days, speaking of the days of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Again, so he's paying in money, and that's not too bad. I mean, even though it's not what it should be, it's not, it's not as bad, right? And until so the Lord sent against him raiders, bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon, because God's people had become so weak. The enemy knew, man, they're weak. We can... We can kind of have our way with these guys because they're not walking with the power of God because they're living in sin, right? And so it says right here that he sent them against Judah, God did, to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. And, you know, here's the thing, man, and again, forgive me because I have so much information rolling around in my brain right now. But Jeremiah started his ministry in the 13th year of Josiah. But if you read the book of Jeremiah, all the kings that we're talking about, there's three kings and one governor, it's all there. It's all there. If you read the book of Jeremiah, I mean, that's this, his whole purpose. For 40 years, he was warning the people for 40 years, get your life right with God. Yield to the Babylonians. Yield to the discipline of God. Seek him the way that you should. Or else the worst thing of all was this. The temple would be built. The walls would be broken. And you're going to get kicked out of the land. That was the worst thing of all. And so Jeremiah was prophesying. Habakkuk was prophesying. Isaiah had prophesied. Even others we read earlier in the book of 2 Kings had warned them about this. So it says right here, it was like the Lord had spoken to them right there in verse 2. Surely all the commandment, the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah. It says right there, to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And we read about Manasseh, and that's another lesson. Manasseh did eventually get right with the Lord, 
but he suffered the consequences of his forgiven sin. And we're going to see that later on today. You're like, well, a lot of people are like, well, I'm covered by the blood and God will forgive me. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. True. But don't you know that everything you plant, everything you put into the ground, everything you sow, you will reap? And that's why we can't take sin lightly. I can't take a, a single day lightly. You know, God wakes me up in the morning. He wakes you up in the morning. Spend time with, in, in, in the Word and in prayer. Maybe the Lord's laying on your heart to read the Bible and pray with your wife. Or maybe to read the Bible and pray with your children. I don't know. But whatever it is he's showing you to do, you have to, we have to really listen to him. And so what ends up happening is here, these guys, as a result of that, Manasseh was forgiven. Yes, he was restored. Yes, he's probably in heaven. Yes. But he did so much damage. It says right here, because of the sins of Manasseh, that they had crossed that line. And that's the thing, you guys. We just want to we want to do our best, you know, not to cross that line. And so we read in verse 5, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and then Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. Now this guy Jehoiakim, he was bad. Uh, when you read the book of Jeremiah, it was about four years into his reign when Jeremiah, he got a message from the Lord and he started writing it down and he put it on a scroll. Actually, Baruch wrote it and then he sent it to the, the people. He was reading in the temple. They got a hold of it. They eventually brought it before the king. And you know what Jehoiakim did? He took it and he burned it. He burned it. That's this guy right here. And so what ended up happening was he died. If you read Second Chronicles 36... What you find is he died an awful death. And when she was dragged by donkeys, uh, he died outside of Jerusalem. And we find his life total waste. And so we read next, Jehoiakim comes into power. And this is the son of Jehoiakim. Look what we read again in verse 5. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So he rested. And then in verse 7, And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now, I think we have a map we do, just so you can kind of get a little visual. I don't know if you guys can see it. My wife was saying that sometimes it's not easy to see. I don't know if you can see the Babylonian Empire, kind of like green, at least on this map it is. And so they came all the way over there from beyond the river Euphrates. They came up, because this is... The whole uh, line, that was the trade route. Up there you have Ribla. That's going to be more or less where they set their headquarters up, right? And then you have down here is Judah. Now, I don't know if you can see this from where you are, but this right here, this line, that's the brook of Egypt. Now, from there all the way to Elam, that was all under Egyptian control. But what ended up happening was now God was raising up Babylon, and now all of that was under Babylonian control. Now the Egyptians, they wouldn't even come out of their, their house because God had raised up Babylon to discipline many nations. And so we read in verse 8 that Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months. Not long, huh? His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. Okay, so again, the first time they came up, it's 605 B.C. That's when Daniel gets taken away to Babylon. The second time now, because they wouldn't listen because they wouldn't accept the discipline, because they still rebelled. They still wouldn't get their life right. Now God has to come again, and now it's 597 B.C. We're going to see with this, Ezekiel gets taken away. And so we read about them. Babylon comes up. 
they were they they surrounded the city. This time it's not long. It says, And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon in the eighth year of his reign took him prisoner. And so, again, just going to repeat this, you guys, because I, I know there's a really just simple lesson for us. Jehoiakim, when you know God comes against them, he becomes a vassal uh, to them. And again, it has its ramifications, but it doesn't affect people as much. But since they wouldn't listen to the discipline of the Lord, then God sent Babylon again. Okay, now this is 597 B.C., and what ends up happening is all these people, the mom, um, family, we're going to see, uh, you know, just a group of people, they end up getting taken away uh, to Babylon. Uh, this is prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 22, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24. And then Jeremiah also mentions this event in his letter to the captives in Jeremiah, chapter 29. And what you see, you guys, and just kind of like with your kids, if you think about it, right, the first time they, they mess up, what do you do? You yell at them, right? I mean, you're not supposed to yell. Don't yell. But you know what I'm saying. And junior, you know, straighten up. You know, usually it's a verbal address. If that doesn't work, what do you do? You take away their iPod, right? You take away some, usually some type of reward. If that doesn't work, what do you do? You beat them up, right? That's pretty much what we do. And, and and the same is true with us and the Lord. You know, the first time he tries talking to us, listen, get your life right. There's more. I have more for you. We don't listen. So what does God do? God sends us withholding blessings. I wanted to bless you, but you're not letting me. A lot of times we still don't listen. And then what ends up happening, it gets even worse. See, and that's what we find, you guys, the lesson that God is teaching us. Jehoiakim now, as he's here, again, it's not just a vassal state anymore. And, and here's another thing that, that I think is very important for us, okay? The, one of the police officers, they were telling me about, about a, uh, a pastor who was having an affair. And it's a, it's a church not too far from here, a real big church. They have about 2,000 people that go to that church, and this pastor been there since 1994, and this is about five years ago, so, you know, uh, uh, 20 years. But he had been having an affair for a long time, and so they found out about it. And I guess the pastor had his resignation letter in his desk uh, for a long time, but he never came clean. So what he was doing was he was waiting to get busted. He was waiting to get busted, and then... When he gets busted, he's like, okay, you know, then uh, I'll move on. But that's not the way we should do it. You know, if you're living in sin, if you're committing adultery, if you're watching pornography, if you're in a habitual, insistent, consistent, resistant sin, then you need to come clean like Jehoiakim did. He surrendered. He went out. Don't try to escape. You know, Raul always tells me, he always says, you know, that's when you know it's not repentance. When you, when you have to bust them for it. When God exposes it. When God shouts it from the mountaintops. Wouldn't it be better if you just came forward and you said, you know what? I'm struggling in this area and I need help. Rather than waiting to get busted. See, that's what Jehoiakim did. He went out. And, and I think there's a lesson there for us, you guys. But you'll notice in looking at this right here that this is something that we see is increasing in intensity. And I know it sounds redundant, but the Lord had warned about all these things. Back in Jeremiah 20, verse 5, he said, Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all its produce and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And so we see he deported all the leaders, the fighters, the builders, the craftsmen. Look at verse uh, 13. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord 
as the Lord had said. Also, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. Now, that would be those who can make weapons, right, with the metal. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land, he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, in 605 B.C., in the first uh, deportation, we believe that Daniel was taken. Now, in the second deportation, in 597, uh, we believe that Ezekiel was then taken into captivity. And when he went into captivity, you're going to find Ezekiel chapter 1, 1 through 3, that when he's 30 years old, this is really uh, shortly into the captivity, he begins to prophesy. He begins to speak. Now, I got to tell you guys this, you know, because I don't want you guys to think that, you know, Manny's, uh, you know, up there and, and he's thinking he's got it all together. I don't. This is the thing that wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, I think God's just calling us higher. I think God's just calling us deeper. I think that God is just wanting to awaken the church to see what will happen if he finds people that are completely sold out and surrendered to him. People who are not playing church. People who are really praying, who are really fasting, who are really seeking the Lord. Now, we're not perfect people, and we definitely won't be Pharisees or self-righteous people. I'm not going to worry. I'm not, you know, I got my responsibility to preach and to share with you and encourage you and exhort you. But once I get off this pulpit, I'm, I'm focusing on my life and how I treat my wife and my kids and how I pray and how I read and how I obey and how I live and the thoughts that I think and the things that I do with my eyes and my lips and everything. Because I know we're living in the last days. And I know what God can do. I believe in God. I've seen the miracles in the Bible. I've seen him do things in my life. All I'm saying is that if God's calling us, if God's speaking to us, if God's saying, hey, I want you to go deeper, then, then, then we have to respond. Because if not, you know, he's going to discipline us. And first, it'll be a verbal discipline. And if we don't listen to that, then he withholds blessings. And if we don't listen to that, then it gets worse. You know, Jehoiakim was only king for, you know, three months. It wasn't a long time. So how did the king of Babylon, how did he go all that way and arrive when he's, you know, on the throne? And the answer is because of what his dad did. Because his dad rebelled. And sometimes our kids. Bottom line is you love them. You know, you love them, you love them. But if you want them to be blessed, then we got to live the life. Because they'll suffer if we live nominal Christian lives. Jehoiakim did. He wasn't king for a long time. He didn't even have a chance to make a lot of decisions. But we're going to see that he was carried away captive. And for 37 years, he was confined into a cell primarily because of what his dad did. And so there's so many reasons for us to really live this life. There are so many reasons. And that's why we have to take these things so seriously. You know, the Lord had warned them over and over again. Look at all these things that are happening. God's people at one time, the most powerful nation in the world under the leadership of David and then Solomon enjoying the benefits of that man of God, then just kept sinking and sinking and seeking to now where they're, they're at this place where they're, they're being chastened by God and God's trying to get their attention, but for whatever reason, they just won't listen. And so we read in verse 17, Then the king of Babylon made Mataniah Jehoiakim's uncle king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Now Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. Okay, so now notice the king of Babylon, he's the one who made him king. 
Okay, so uh, in the beginning, this guy's right on. In the beginning, so to speak, this guy's, you know, um, pro-Babylon, pro-Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah, and I want to encourage you guys, I was listening to a study by pa- Pastor Chuck Smith on this, and he told the whole congregation, you know, go home, read the book of Jeremiah, read the book of Ezekiel, and read the book of Daniel. He told them to read all three books, you know. So I'll tell you guys to do the same thing. And you're like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> you know what? Just turn off the TV a little bit, man. Maybe, maybe you know, don't sleep the whole 10 hours, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and you're going to get so blessed because you're going to read about Jeremiah talking to Jehoiakim. You're going to read about him talking to Jehoiachin. You're going to read about him talking to Zedekiah and all these things that happened, right? And Jeremiah is telling them, you're being disciplined by the Lord. God's trying to teach you something. What are you learning? And, you know, I mean, we're disciples, so we're going to get disciplined, right? What are you learning? What is God trying to teach you? Seriously, what's God trying to teach me? I have a list now. I, I think it's about 30 things. I have my when I get up and I pray and I spend time. First of all, I pray asking God to forgive me. Then I pray worship. This is my my OCD, you know, prayer pattern, man. And then I pray for my wife and then I pray for my daughter and then I pray for my son. I pray for a few other people and then I pray for me. And once I get to me, I, I a lot of things that God is showing me, but I have a list of things. What's your list? What's God trying to teach you? What's God trying to teach me? You know, when we when we discipline our children, there's a purpose for it. I don't want this anymore. And a lot of times I think even we're getting disciplined. And because of the fact that we're not really in the word and in prayer, we're not really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We don't even realize what God is doing in our life. And all you have to do, you don't have to be a Gnostic. You don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be, you know, whatever, an expert in the Bible. All you have to do is listen. Stop. Life is so busy. I know it is. But you got to make the time. Stop and listen. What is the Lord trying to teach you? If you can't answer that, my pastor would always ask me that. What's the Lord showing you? And you can't make something up. Right, you got to say well, this is what the Lord's showing me. Because things got bad, and then they went from bad to worse. And so this guy, you know, Zedekiah, he becomes king, and he reigns eleven years. It says in verse eighteen, Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamudal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. See, and that's what was wrong. I mean, you know, at first this guy was on the right page. But then because of the pressure, he crumbled. And then what ends up happening he believes the Egyptians who say, hey, we're going to help you out. That's the, the council of the world. And all the pressure from the nationalists in Judah. And what happens? He rebels against Babylon. And he kicks and screams and rebels against the Lord, right? And so what ends up happening? It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So remember the first time they besieged it? It wasn't long. You know, uh, Jehoiakim came out, surrendered. This time, Zedekiah says, no, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to stay in my city. And so the, what they do is they surround it. They don't allow any food in for a year and a half, right? And you read Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is all about, you know, Jeremiah lamenting the, the you know, the plunder and the captivity of Jerusalem 
And that's what I was mentioning to you earlier about them eating their, their babies. It was, just, it was just a crazy, ravishing, raping the women. It was just an awful, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And so, you know, here we see that what ends up happening eventually is they, um, this, the siege does its work. It says, by the ninth day, in verse 3 of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden. Even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city, and the king went by way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king, brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it says they slaughtered his sons. They slaughtered his sons. They made him watch it. It says right here, and then they put out his eyes. So he said, the last thing you're going to see, you're going to see your sons slaughtered. Why? Why? Because you rebelled against the Lord. See? And that's the warning. You know, well, I'm a battleship. But he's a lighthouse. We got to take heed. We're like, I'm not as bad as they are. Are you listening to the Lord? Well, I don't know what he's saying. Then you're not listening. I mean, his sons are slaughtered. They, they gouge out his eyes, it says right here. And they put him in bronze fetters, and they take him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, so this is about a month later, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And here it is, you guys. Here's the thing that is just, is just, is just man, this is the that just a huge thing. And verse 9, he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captains of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. See, and I, I just want to, I want to keep it simple, but I pray that you guys would see this right here. This is... The big thing. They burned down the temple. That was, you know, that was their, their place of worship. But that was what they trusted in. And they broke down the walls. Again, symbolic of, you know, the walls. It's interesting. When you read the book of Ezra, you know, he eventually comes back and restores temple worship. And then Nehemiah comes back and they rebuild the walls in 444 B.C., and, and the temple, of course, you know, they had built it prior to that under the leadership of Zerubbabel, but they still didn't have worship. Ezra brought worship back, and then Nehemiah brought the glory of God back. Because when people would pass by Jerusalem and they see all the broken down walls, oh, that's the, the nation that serves Jehovah God, the, you know, Yahweh. Oh, yeah, he must not be too much of a God. Because look at the walls. Nehemiah knew that. Even though they had built another little temple and even though temple worship had been restored, when Nehemiah found out that the walls were broken down, he said, you know what, we've got to go do something about that because this is a reproach to God. It's a reproach. And that's the way it is. I think, you know, sometimes we don't realize and we can live with this and we, we shouldn't. Our God is the living God. Our God is, is the saving God. Our God is the God who made everything, who maintains everything. Our God is the God who answers prayer. Our God is, is the God who has defeated every form of opposition. He has put all principalities under his feet. That's our God. And our life should reflect a people that follow the living God, that God. But what ended up happening was the enemy came in. Because the people weren't listening. They weren't listening to the Lord. The enemy came in. 
and he burned down the temple and he broke down the walls. Jeremiah told him straight out, he said, if you humble yourself and if you get right with the Lord, then the temple won't, it won't be burnt down. The walls won't be broken down. He, he told Zedekiah straight out, but he didn't listen. See? And that, and to me, it, again, it's the warnings. It's just the warnings of God that we need to listen to. Because not only is he going to burn down the temple and break down the walls, look, look what ends up happening right here. It says in verse 11, And then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver. The captain of the guard took away the two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits. That's about 24 feet more. 27 feet, and the capital the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network and pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with the network. And the captain of the guard took Sarahiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the doorkeepers, the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, Five men and the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. You know, warnings, and here's something else, you guys. Warnings are not always when you're doing bad, okay? So um, it, sometimes we just have warnings so that we don't go to the left or the right. And so what I want to encourage you to do is just to listen to the warnings and see what can happen. I think in that pastor, 20 years, he's got ministry all around the world. I found out today from that police officer, not anymore. I think of this pastor over here, Bob Coy, and how he had everything, everything. Beautiful flock, beautiful family. Now, God is a God of grace, and God is a God of second chances. We just have to pick it up from where we are now and make sure we we listen to the Lord, make sure we go forward. Basically, what we see right here, again, and I know it sounds redundant, but I just want to, you know, encourage you guys in this. 605 B.C., the Babylonians came. They made him a vassal state. They took the king away. That's not too bad. But then they wouldn't listen. So 597 B.C., they came and they took Jehoiakim away. They took 10,000 people away. And they took the gold and the silver away, primarily the gold and the silver. They still wouldn't listen. And so what ends up happening the third time, is they come in and they say, okay, God said, I have to discipline you because i got to do something real deep in your life. And so what ends up happening is they burn the temple down, they break the walls, and then basically what they do is they take all the leftovers. Now, bronze, it wasn't as valuable, but basically what they did is they stripped them of everything that they had left. See, and that's what the enemy will do if we don't follow the Lord. And then what ends up happening is they make this guy Gedaliah the governor. So he's like, I'm done with kings. No more kings, right? And so in verse 22, and then he made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, who Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. 
Now when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Korea, Saraiah, the son of Tahumath, the Netophathite, and Jeazaniah, the son of uh, that guy, Mahakathite, they and their men, and Gedaliah, they took an oath before them, and their men said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. What's he saying? Humble yourselves under the disciplining hand of God. That was what Jeremiah was trying to tell them the whole time. Let let God do his disciplining work in you. Right? That's what Gedaliah said. Right? But what ended up happening, and again, we don't have time to go there, but you read over in the book of Jeremiah, and what you find is that the guys, the Jews, they actually found out that someone wanted to kill Gedaliah. And so they told him, hey, these guys, they want to kill you. You know what Gedaliah did? The Bible says he didn't believe them. Ah, I don't believe you. That's literally what he said. He didn't believe them. And you know what happened? It says right here in verse 25, but it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah. The Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him, at Mizpah. Hey, Gedaliah, Gedaliah, they want to kill you. They want to kill you. I don't believe it. Oh, well, come on. You read Jeremiah, it's pretty cool. They say, let us get them. You know, let us kill these guys before they kill you. Nah, I'm sure you guys are exaggerating. You're warning, exaggerating. Next thing you know, they killed them. And it's not just that they killed them that it's a big deal. I mean, it's like, okay, well, it's just one man. But what it did, and when you read Jeremiah, you see it affected everybody. It says right here, And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Now, it's interesting. When you read the book of Jeremiah, when they came and they sieged Babylon, they took him to Riblah, and then Nebuzaradan said, Hey, you can go back and spend... Wherever you want to go, you can go. So he went back and he hung out with Gedaliah. And then when you read Jeremiah, it's real interesting. They're saying, hey, you know, after they had killed, uh, you know, Gedaliah, Jeremiah said, don't go, to Jer- don't go to Egypt. But they ended up going and they took Jeremiah with him. And that's how Jeremiah ends his ministry. He actually ends up because they forced him to go to Egypt. And all I'm saying is that it seems to me The whole chapter is about warnings. It's about warnings. It's about warnings. And if you're here tonight, maybe it's about a warning because of God's love to get right. Get right. And if you're already right, you're like, well, Manny, I'm doing pretty good. Maybe you are. And there are some people who, you know, they're not perfect, but they're proper and they're just right where they belong. Let me just say this to you. Stay right. Stay right. Because the enemy's coming. The enemy's coming. And so we read in closing in verse 27. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 20th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. And you read that right there, and you're like, well, that's a funny way for the book to end, you know? I mean, I don't know. You would figure it would end with like a doxology or something about, you know, them being carried away and then kind of like close it there. Why does it end here? And there's a couple of reasons. Again, Jehoiakim had been in captivity for 37 years. And then this uh, king, he's got a funny name, um, Evil, Evil, um, Marodak or whatever, you know, um, 
he just says, you know what, this guy's okay. A lot of people believe that what happened was Jehoiakim repented. And so what ends up happening is they bring him out. He speaks kindly to him. He uh, changes his clothes, and he says, hey, you can eat at my table. You know, we have uh, carne asada, good stuff, man, homemade tortillas and salsa and all that stuff. And so in one sense, you're like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. But it's, it's, actually, uh, it's actually, to me, it still breaks my heart. Because the, God has so much more for you. You know, God has given us grace, and I think of Mephibosheth and how he was allowed to eat at the king's table and and everything that happened. Remember Saul's uh, son or grandson, but but remember he was lame in his feet. And it, it kind of comes back to that lesson that, you know, you, Jehoiakim, you know, even though you're having a good time there in Babylon, I really wanted this for you. And you, Mephibosheth, even though God shows you grace, if it weren't for your grandfather Saul, you wouldn't be lame. You wouldn't be suffering. And I guess what we're trying to do, have you guys ever heard of that saying, prevention, or what is it, prevention is the best medicine, or something like that, preventative measures, you know? Rather than taking it afterwards and, you know, saying, hey, no, before. Well, we look forward and we say, you know what? Even though it kind of ended up kind of cool for him, it wasn't, it really wasn't God's perfect will. At the end of the day, I want to be able to say like Paul the Apostle, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Whatever God has for us. See, that's what we want to be able to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, for your love and your grace in our life. And I thank you, Father, for this warning to my life, Lord. I really pray, Lord, that there would be that heart, Lord, for you. That, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you or who's not walking with you, Father, who is not in fellowship or communion with you, Lord, the way that that they should be, the way that we should be, Lord.